Let's pray. God, thank you for the gift of this new day. God, thank you for the reminder in that song that uh, there's another in the fire. Our life can feel like chaos and fire, uh, like things are just completely out of control. But God, you're always with us if we're just willing to acknowledge and, and accept and receive you. And so as we have this time and look at your word, God, um, it's not easy. There's some tough stuff in it. Uh, what it means to us in our lives isn't an easy thing to, to come to terms with. But God, thank you that you have given us not just your word, God, but you've given us the ability and the opportunity to apply it to our lives. And so thank you for that opportunity. I pray that your Holy Spirit uh, opens our ears, our hearts, our minds, whatever it is that we might be holding up in the way of you, God, that uh, we would be able to hear and see you clear this morning. God, we give this time to you and we thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. <laughs> we got this series we're doing called God Does the Impossible, right? God who does the impossible. The thing that I realize is not everybody believes that. The, the simple fact is that there are some of you that go, yeah, I would love to believe that God does the impossible, but God can't really do that. Yet we saw it a, a few weeks ago. We, Peter walked on water. You and I, we can't go out and do that, but Peter did. And the Bible records it not as a story, but as history. Cindy talked about Daniel being thrown into the lion's den and the lions not being able to touch him. God prevented the lions from devouring Daniel, but then the next people that went in, they just made short work of. God does the impossible. Today we're going back to the book of Daniel. Uh, we're going to be in chapter 3. If you've got your Bibles, you can find that one a little past the midpoint of, your, of the Bibles. Uh, chapter 3, if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one after the service. It might seem like this text that we're going to take a look at today is is kind of way beyond where we live and how much can it have relevance with our lives. If we're willing to be honest and if we're willing to really take a look at who we are, what we believe, and what we're doing with our lives, we're going to find out it is so appropriate for you and I today. It is so appropriate for our word, our world. Uh, if you grew up in the church and you went to Sunday school, maybe you went to a huge church, a little church, maybe you were the only kid in Sunday school, you might have heard this passage before. You might have heard about it all the way back as a kid. It's about three young men named Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Everybody know that story? Anybody know that story? Because we don't know those names. Those are their Hebrew names. You know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The Babylonian names that they were given that the Bible gives us and remembers. Like Daniel, and they were friends of Daniel's, they were kicked out of, of Jerusalem and they were sent to this other country, but because they were probably young men of some noble birth, which meant they had education, they were living in the king's palace. The king was Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, they lived where he was. The problem was, like Daniel, they upset the king. Daniel wouldn't bow down and worship, and these guys wouldn't either. Nebuchadnezzar was an interesting guy. As a king, he was okay with everybody kind of worshiping whatever it was they wanted to worship. You, you could kind of believe in what you wanted to believe in, do your own thing, kind of like America today, really. But he made the decision that he was going to build this statue. And so the first part of chapter 3 in the book of Daniel talks about this statue. Originally, it was going to be just a golden head, but Nebuchadnezzar decided he was just going to go for broke. Built a 90-foot statue, 9 feet wide, all gold. You could see this thing for miles. And what Nebuchadnezzar said is, while you can do whatever you want, you can worship what you want, when you get the word, and that's when the music starts playing and the people start making all the noise, you've got to stop what you're doing, you've got to worship the statue. 
But then Nebuchadnezzar, he went a step further and he started to see himself as a god. Much like the kings, the Caesars of Rome did later on, he started to believe that he had all power, that, that people would worship this statue, but it was really him. It was really him that they were worshiping. And in the Bible, it makes it really, really clear that our God is a jealous God. And so you've got these young men, Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that are living in the court of the king. They've got their eyes on them all the time. Everybody else knows exactly who they are, what they believe, and what they're doing. They're not going to get away with anything. And they say, no, we're not going to do it. Just like Daniel, they said they're not going to do it. God is a jealous God. God tells us in the Bible, basically, no sharing. You know, either be hot or cold, be in or out, believe it or not. No sitting on the fence. And Cindy had this comment a few weeks ago. The fence belongs to Satan. You can't sit on the fence waiting to make a decision for or against God, believe in Jesus or not believe in Jesus. The bottom line, that fence line is Satan's because on that fence line to sit there says that you choose not to believe. But God's not okay with that. God says you're in or out. So these guys, they have great respect for the King Nebuchadnezzar. They treat him well. They use all the proper language about him. But the fact of the matter is, They're not willing to worship Him and they're not willing to worship the things that He says they're supposed to worship. They've made their choice. They've chosen to worship God and to worship God alone, even if it costs them their lives. They've got great respect for the earthly king, but they have ultimate and utmost respect and they worship one alone, and that's the God of Israel, the great I Am. So if you've got your Bibles, go to Daniel chapter 3. We're going to pick it up uh, in the 15th verse. We've got to understand the history here, right? So the king's built a statue. The, boy, the guys are living in, in his court. They're educated. They're intelligent. They're uh, living a pretty good life. They are Jewish men. They have been renamed. All of their names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, have ties to Babylonian gods, connections to saying that they serve them, they worship them, whatever. Uh, but they don't. And the king has made the call, if you don't worship the statue, when I tell you to worship the statue, you're going to burn in a furnace. So we pick it up in the second half of verse 15. King Nebuchadnezzar says, But if you refuse, you'll be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God, small g, will be able to rescue you from my power? He makes an incredible statement. Nebuchadnezzar said there's not another God out there, no matter who you choose to believe in or worship, that's more powerful than me. None of them can deliver you from me. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego reply, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, We do not need to defend ourselves before you. Important note. Sometimes people ask, how come I don't argue more about the Bible? How come I don't make sure I defend God better? You know, God doesn't need me to defend Him. God doesn't need you to defend Him. God needs us to speak our truth about Him. They say, God doesn't need us to defend Him. We don't need to defend ourselves against you. And so if you ever feel like you've got to defend God, you don't. I don't feel like I ever have to argue about what the Bible says because it's no point. The Bible's right. We win. They understand this. We do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He'll rescue us from your power, majesty. Not if, but he will. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, lots of respect, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you set up. What they're telling Nebuchadnezzar is, We honor you and respect you as king, but we will never serve or worship the gods that you tell us to. In fact, 
we will be faithful to God even if it means our death. Nebuchadnezzar, verse 19, was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage. He commanded that the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual. He ordered some of the strongest men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. And so they tied them up because apparently the fire wouldn't be enough. They tied them up and threw them into the furnace fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, and other garments. More to burn, Nebuchadnezzar's thinking. And because the king in his anger had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. This was a real flame. This was not a pretend. This isn't what you put on your screen at Christmas when you want a fire, but you don't want the house to smell. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. They make the case that you've got these strong men. Tie them up. They're in fully fully clothed. The guys bring them to the door of the furnace. They throw them in. The guys burn up, but the guys don't. The, the three kids don't. The soldiers all die. Suddenly, Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did, they replied. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted. He's watching because he likes these guys. I think there's a part of him that knows that he needs to execute justice on them. But he likes him. He's paying attention. He says, I see four men unbound, walking around in the fire, unharmed. And the fourth looks like the God. Some Bibles, our translations say the son of a God. Then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could. You've got to imagine this. He came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace. And he shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out. Come here. This guy who was throwing them into the fire to be burned to death is now telling them to come out because he realizes their God is the Most High God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire. Then the high officers, officials, governors, and advisors crowded around them, and they could see that the fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their heads was singed, and their clothing was not scorched. They didn't even smell of smoke. We're pretty soon into summer bonfire season. Best thing about the bonfire is you got that fire on a cool night and everybody sits around. You hope the, the embers don't jump off onto your new pants or sweatshirt. The next morning you go, what is that smell? What's the smell? It's the smoke from the fire the night before. These guys had been in the furnace seven times hotter. They didn't even smell of smoke. God hadn't just protected them. God had completely delivered them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God, capital G, of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than to serve or worship any god except their own god. You've got to understand that when you're obedient to God's command on your life, even when it isn't easy, even when it isn't fun, even when people make uh, fun of you, when you are obedient to God, you're making a statement to the world that goes beyond your obedience. People are watching. Why in the world would these kids be willing to jump into the furnace knowing they're going to get burned to death rather than to worship another God because they were that committed to their God? People are watching. Therefore, I make this decree. If any people, whatever their race or nation or religion, speak a word against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be torn limb from limb and their houses will be burned or turned into heaps of rubble. There is no other God who can rescue like this. He's got the right idea, but he's a little violent. 
Anybody that says anything about this God, now, rather than throwing in the furnace, now we're going to tear them limb from limb and burn their house and turn it into a pile of rubble. He understands that this God is the true God. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to even higher positions in the province of Babylon. I think, I think that uh, probably Nebuchadnezzar didn't want the wrath of God falling down on him. He understood he wasn't all-powerful. He understood that what he wanted in the world wasn't necessarily what was going to happen. So what do we learn from this text? God does the impossible. God is awesome and amazing and does things we can't even imagine. Sometimes you're in a situation that feels so much like a fire that you pray and you don't even pray telling God how to solve it. You just say, God, I need your help. And God is able to step in and do the impossible. And then it's amazing to me how we as people don't learn from those lessons. We don't learn from our own experience because we always find a way to, to create or build something else to worship other than God. Things that we create for ourselves that make more sense or that seem to be closer or that we want to connect ourselves to in some way that, well, it makes me feel better. Yet in the end, all this stuff does is takes our attention away from God. And Exodus 20 is one of the places we get the Ten Commandments in two places in the Bible. Exodus 20 is one of them. And verses, uh, chap- verses 3 and 4 give you the second and third commandment. You must have no other God but me. God is very clear. You must have no other God, small g, but me. Number uh, Third commandment, verse 4. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. Any questions about how God expects to be worshipped? Anybody want to stop and discuss that one? God makes it so clear. Don't. Don't create something. Don't imagine something. Don't believe in something. Don't fall for something. Don't make an image of something to worship. Worship me and worship me alone, God says. And yet we do it all the time. We get it wrong. Go all the way back to the nation of Israel. God has just delivered the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. They'd lived hundreds of years as slaves in Egypt. Brutal conditions. God sends Moses. Moses delivers them from Egypt. The the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, sends all of the wealth of Egypt with them. Just go. Just get out of here and leave us alone after the plagues. They're in the wilderness on their way to the promised land. And what do they do? They take all of the gold of all of that wealth and they melt it down because they're complaining that God isn't doing what they want. They're not getting the food. They're fully fed. They get food every day, but they're not happy about it. So they melt all this gold and they make a golden calf and they begin to worship a golden calf because they'd rather worship an object that they created than worship the God who created them. And we spend so much of our lives doing the same thing. Well, God, it's hard to follow you. It's hard to keep your commandments. It's, I don't, you know, I just, it's so much work. I'd rather follow this. I'd rather believe in that. I'd rather give my time or attention or money to this thing. So this is one of those moments now where we have to stop and we have to take a look at our world and realize the ancient spiritual world and our modern world are not so very different. There's some uncomfortable truths that we have to be okay with. Somebody after the first service was walking out and said, I'm going to pray for you because, man, you're going to get pounded this week. When we talk about spiritual truths, they're easier left alone. But you know what? We can't leave them alone. We've got to recognize that they're there and we've got to recognize that they affect us. So we're going to do that. Let's talk about that for a little bit, huh? To be Christians 
who are faithful to Jesus and who follow Him alone, we got to get to the point where we can accept some uncomfortable truths. See, there's this false god in the Old Testament. He's listed throughout the Old Testament. His name is Baal. Baal is, is one of the gods that so many of the cultures and the people throughout history in that part of the world have worshipped. Baal is, is the god that they represent as the bull god. He brings the weather. He brings prosperity. He brings in good crops. If you've got money, he's the one that gives you the means to the money. Uh, Baal was the one who, who gave you the life that you were hoping to live. Baal was responsible for all of that stuff. It was Baal that King Ahab and Queen Jezebel worshipped. It was Baal that, that Elijah had the showdown on Mount Carmel against the prophets of Baal and the prophets of Asherah. Baal is the one who demanded human and infant sacrifices across all kinds of cultures over thousands of years. Today, that spirit of Baal, ancient and evil, still exists in the world, just like the spirit of Jezebel does. And so often in the church, we don't talk about it because we think, ah, that's just kind of weird. That's sort of supernatural. You better believe it is. The Bible doesn't make any, any statements any other way that you better believe that it's supernatural. See, Baal is the one who changes human thinking. He changes our perception. He gets us to cause, causes us to turn from God in anger and jealousy and selfishness and in self-satisfying pride and do things we would never do otherwise. You watch the news or you read a story, you hear about somebody who does some atrocious thing. How in the world could they do that? They can't be in their right mind. Probably so. The fact of the matter is, these spiritual forces at work in the world are growing. Bible says that. And if we don't talk about them, if we're not aware of them, then we're going to fall to them, and some people are going to end up worshiping them, and that's what the world is trying to do. The spirit of Baal is alive and well. I'm going to give you an example. America is founded on this idea of we can do it on our own, we can, we can figure it out, you can make your own life, you're a self-made man, a self-made woman. We love the idea of possibility and prosperity, financial prosperity essentially. Financial prosperity is the one that it all boils down to, and so we've got this symbol in America. It's actually in downtown New York. It sits on Wall Street. It came out a few years ago. An artist did this. It's been there for a long, long time. weighs like 1,800 pounds or something. Uh, here's a picture of it. It's the bull. Remember what Baal was? The bull. That represents prosperity. You can do it yourself. You can make your own worth. You can become whoever you want to be right there in downtown New York as a, as a staple, a, a, a foundation of Wall Street is the bull. That's not a coincidence, folks. It's not a coincidence that, that this symbol of this place that represents prosperity, wealth, and greed uses a bull as the symbol. You go all the way back to the nation of Israel wandering through the wilderness and they're struggling with a life that they don't want to live, a journey they don't want to take, and they'd rather go back to bondage. And, bondage. and so what do they do? They craft for themselves a golden calf. See, if we look through political eyes, we don't see it. If we look through economic eyes, we don't see it. If we look through American eyes, we don't see it. If we look through spiritual eyes, it's right there. They're not even trying to hide it. It's right there in downtown. You go to New York City, you can go visit it. We build idols to worship all the time. Our idols are the things that get our time, that get our attention, our fondest affections, our money. What in your life, here's my question for you, what in your life is more important to you than God? That's your idol. 
Maybe you've got seven of them. Anything that you're not willing to give up in your walk with Jesus is an idol. Anything that keeps you from Him, anything that keeps your attention, your time, your focus, your finances, anything at all that keeps you from following Jesus fully becomes an idol. And the world knows it. If you don't think anything is, think about where do you spend your time? Where does the majority of your time go? Where do you spend your money? What can you imagine not living without? What do you think you've earned or deserve that nobody can take away from you? See, in America, we protect and we defend and we justify and we legalize our idols. We put them on the street of the biggest city in the country. Politics, political parties, politicians, abortion, uh, gender mania with its pronouns of choice, gender affirmation without regard to birth, all of this stuff that's happening in America are all becoming idols. Bank accounts, jobs, money, well, those are the ones we're used to. And so what's happening is the world is throwing all kinds of new ones to separate us further from God and separate us further from each other. How can people possibly believe that? You wonder why it is that I pick on, and I know people tell me i got to stop, just can't. Why do I pick on Oprah and yoga? Because for crying out loud, there's things that we choose to defend. There are people who still follow Oprah's book club. And they say, well, I, I can follow Oprah and I can follow her New Age books, but I still read my Bible. Really? Which one do you read more? Which one is your, gets your better attention? Which one is it causes you to turn away from or turn to God? The Bible causes us to turn to God. But all those other things are designed to help us replace God. And the world doesn't even try to hide it. Artificial intelligence is the new thing out there, and there's all these debates and arguments about it. What's interesting is they're trying to create a computer that supposedly will blend with us and make us better than being humans. What in the world do you want to be other than a human? And yet that's what's going on out there in the world. If you really want to have some fun, if you want to push it a little bit, (laughs) this got me in trouble last hour. If you want to push it a little bit, most of you have got a little computer that you keep in your pocket. Cost you about a grand. Can hold more information than the first computers could have dreamt of holding. Access the whole world. You can get any information that you want. And if I understand the numbers correctly, more than half of you have one that's called an iPhone. Am I right? Nobody's willing to admit it all of a sudden. Where's he go? Somebody goes, yeah, yeah, well, but you don't get it. You ever thought about the logo? It's cute. It's childish. It's so simple. You ever thought about it? Just an apple in really fun, fun colors. But it's not just an apple. What happened to the apple? Took a bite out of it. Where do you think they got that idea? See, Apple just wanted to conquer the world. Apple just wanted to take over the computing world. So they gave us an apple with a bite out of it. An image straight out of the, book of, uh, out of the Bible, the book of Genesis. I, I did my reading. I know what they're about. Maybe you don't see it otherwise and you think it's just kind of fun, but when you're sitting in church and you start to think about things that have become our idols, suddenly see them with different eyes. We see them with spiritual eyes. Now, could we go back to that image for a second? While we could, we're not going to spend a moment on the rainbow. The stolen rainbow. We could spend an entire sermon series talking about movies and corporate logos and what they really mean and what the symbolism really is talking with this company about looking at rebranding us. Branding is creating a logo. It was really important that we had something that pointed to Jesus, even in just the picture, thus the cross. 
See, what you put out for the world is a statement of what you believe. Companies know that. And they're all trying to steal our attention and our money away from God. See, to worship those things is to choose not to worship God. To worship them is to choose our own future and our own furnace. You make those things the hill that you're going to die on, and you're right, you're going to die there, and that's going to be the furnace that swallows you. You might not die alone. In fact, you might die around a crowd of people. There might be a whole bunch of people that believe the way you do, that that talk the way you do, that see the world the way that you do, that want to fight the same fight that you do. But you know what? If you're not walking with God, you're walking alone even though you're in a crowd of people. If we're not serving God, then we're serving ourselves. And you don't want to walk against God. No matter how sincere your commitment is, If you're not walking toward God, we're walking away from Him. And that means we're walking alone. America is the home of, we're very spiritual. I'm very spiritual. I'm very religious. I just don't believe in Jesus. Well, then what is your spirituality about? What is your religion about? That's what an awful lot of those idols are about drawing us away. They know that being spiritual is a good thing. We know that being spiritual as a Christian is a good thing. But when it takes us away from God, it's not. So how about you do something revolutionary? How about you take a stand against the crowd? How about instead of going with whatever the the thing of the day or the moment is, how about you speak out in God's truth against whatever it is that stands to take people away from God? It isn't popular. It isn't easy. You're going to feel like you're all alone. But you know what? When you choose to stand with God, you're never alone because God is the one who is in the furnace with the three guys. He doesn't ever leave us alone when we're willing to worship Him and Him alone. You want to have a defining moment in your life? Take a loud and bold stand for Jesus and your faith in a place and with a group of people where it isn't popular. That's a defining moment because what you realize if you'll go through with it, you'll realize that number one, you need God's help and that He really is there with you. And number two, that just maybe Jesus really is the most important thing to you. You want to do something radical? Take a stand. If you think it's too much, it isn't because God does the impossible. What's impossible for us is possible for God. Maybe you're facing a fire. Maybe something seems impossible to you. Maybe you can't figure a way out. See, God didn't cease to be in the possible business in the Old Testament. God can do the impossible for you today. You might not see how it's possible. That's the idea of faith. Faith is believing in something that we can't see. And our faith and our commitment to God, it isn't just about us and our lives. When we're obedient to God, our obedience is seen by other people. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in the furnace, King Nebuchadnezzar and everybody around him saw the fourth one in the furnace with them. Their obedience led to a complete turn of faith for that whole group of people. The other people are watching, and when we're bold and confident and we walk in faith and obedience, even when the results aren't guaranteed because they made that statement, God's power is shown for everybody to see. See, the the three friends were fully committed. They were fully committed, and they trusted in God. They were willing to die Rather than offend or disobey God, they refused to bow to the king even when their lives were on the line. They stood up to the most powerful man in the land. And said, I know you're telling us we've got to worship you, but you know we're not going to even if you throw us into the furnace. Keeping God's law and worshiping God in obedience was more important to them than their own lives. So you've got to ask yourself, because I had to ask myself this, is there something in this world that I'm not willing to give up for God? Is there something that's more important to me than God? Is there something that I want to hold on to that I would let God go of so that I didn't have to let go of this? That's the idol. That's what we're following. 
Here's a, here's a tough truth. You're going to be given the opportunity in your lifetime to make that decision. Some of you have already lost jobs because of what you believed in. In the last few years, people lost jobs and, and lost careers because they made a choice based on their convictions and their commitments. You're going to have the opportunity in your lifetime to make a strong statement for or against your faith in God. That's the way the world's going. The Bible says it. You're going to have an opportunity to choose. Our world is changing fast, and it isn't just Baal that that people are worshiping in all the different ways that he's showing up. All the false gods are just completely flooding the political agendas in our country and in our world, and they will force you to choose. Do you believe in God or not? Are you going to remain faithful to God or are you going to bow to the loud and threatening voices of the world around you? Are you going to trust them in the future that they promise? Or are you going to trust God in the eternity that He's bought for us in Jesus? If you go, what? I don't know what to do next. How do, I, how do I do this? How do I live this life? It's very simple. Daniel 2.20 Let the name of God be blessed forever and ever for wisdom and power belong to Him. Make your life a life that is a blessing to God. Make your life a life that honors God in everything you say and everything that you do. Every conversation, every lifestyle choice, by your work, by your play, by your political leanings, we exist for God, not for ourselves. Let's live like it. See, the world right now is living in chaos because they've been told, you live for you and whatever you want, whatever you believe, it's right and it's true. And yet people are more unhappy and more depressed than they've ever been. The world is in chaos because we're living for ourselves. And there'll never be fulfillment in that. But when we choose to live for God and His glory, to proclaim His truth, there's no threat that's too strong. There's no agenda so powerful. There's no government that's going to be great enough and no furnace hot enough to stop God because God is the God who does the impossible. He makes the impossible possible by making His name known through us. So what's my challenge? Take a stand. Take a stand. Believe in something that turns people's attention to God. Take a stand for the God who has already given His Son Jesus for you. Jesus is watching. What and who will you live for? That's either your idol or that's your God. Let's pray. God, thank You for this passage. Thank You for the tough truth that's in it. God, we live in a world, and You know this, (laughs) that is pulling us in every direction, that's trying to make things that take us away from You look good and okay and acceptable. And so we tell ourselves that, well, we can do it. I can, I can step a little bit over there and it'll be all right. I won't get lost. And yet, God, our, our nature is to just go all, all in for something. And the enemy knows that. And he wants us to just give a little bit because then he can take all of us away from You. Help us to be strong. Help us to be courageous. Help us to be bold and help us to be obedient that we would learn from this passage, God, that You are with us even when it looks like a sure and certain death, a sure and certain getting fired, a sure and certain whatever the world's threatening. God, You're the one who stands in the fire with us. You are the one who sent Your Son Jesus to die for us. And You are the one, God, You are the one that You ask us to live for. In Jesus' name, Amen. Please do not leave here today saying, Pastor Steve told me to throw away my iPhone. That is not what I said. What I said is we got to be aware how subtly these things work into our world. And when we see them with spiritual eyes, they take on a very different appearance. I'm not saying that, that Apple is the evil empire. I'm not saying anything like that. 
What I'm saying is that we just have to be aware that there are spiritual connections to earthly things and we have to be aware of how it is that we're connected to them. Rather than throwing your iPhone away, what I would say is make an intentional effort to take a stand for Jesus. Maybe it isn't popular, maybe it isn't easy, but make an intentional effort to make a stand for Jesus. God gave Jesus who died for our sins so that we could live for Him. Best thing that you could do is go out there and live loud for Jesus.